Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Do Business Better podcast. I'm your host, Damian Mason. Got a great show for you today. You're going to learn from a seasoned veteran. His name is Peter Evans. He's sitting right here in my home office studio. Peter Evans has a great story to tell about various different things he's done in business and about the business he's been involved with for the last two decades. So you're going to learn from a seasoned veteran about business, about business ownership, about coming from the big six. That's right. He was an accountant working for Deloitte and then got into banking and then got into being his own boss or a partner, sort of kind of his own boss. So the Do Business Better podcast, as you know, is available as an audio as well as a video. That's right. Get it on Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, wherever you pick up your audio podcast, but also go to the Damian Mason channel on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and type in Damian Mason channel. Hit subscribe. Doesn't cost you nothing. And you can see all my great content there. Business insights, social commentary, my business of agriculture podcast, and of course, the Do Business Better podcast. Peter Evans, welcome to the show. Welcome. All right. So he's kind of nervous. You know, he's an accountant. He's not a showbiz type. So he's never been in one of these sort of scenarios. And I said, you're going to be great. Don't worry about it. So here's the scoop on Peter Evans. He's a Chicago suburb kid that now lives in Phoenix, Arizona, or Scottsdale, as it were. Give me the background from... uh, from uh, high school, you went to college at University of Illinois, then you came out here to Arizona and got an MBA, right? That is correct. All right, then tell me about what happened after that. You were an accountant yes. uh, and accounting major. After after that, I went to work for Deloitte uh, Haskins & Sells as an auditor for them and uh, spent about four and a half years with them before going to work for my largest client, which was a large savings and loan in Arizona, where I was the controller for them. All right, and then from there, it was 20 years ago, you uh, left and went struck it on your own. You uh, grabbed a partner or two, and then you said, we're going to start our own business. You were like 45, 43, 46 years old, and then what well, happened? Well, a little younger than that, because I first went into the hotel business. Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay. And I spent about a dozen years as a president of a hotel management firm in headquartered in Phoenix, Uh, We had properties spread around uh, between Texas, New Mexico, Washington, Utah, and Arizona. All right. So you were the accounting business guy, and then you probably had somebody that was a partner that was more the capital guy. And then uh, your role has generally always been what? Uh, Really managing operations for the different businesses. All right. So you parted company with uh, your one partner in the hotel business and then began looking for something new. Let's go yes, with that. that. That was about 2001. Uh, we, I had in the hotel business two other partners. One of the partners and I decided that we were going to strike out on our own and start to look for another business to purchase. We spent almost a year looking for a business to buy, and we finally uh, secured uh, Baylor Equipment, which had been around since 1985. All right, so listen, the people that listen to this show are business people, aspiring entrepreneurs, business owners, and then there's always that thing that people come to you and say, hey, you've got your own business. I've got this idea. 
And I always say, hey, ideas are great. That's the lifeblood of this uh, this whole thing. But you've got to put it in execution. Your idea wasn't let's start from scratch. Your idea was let's buy something. Yes. And that's a good path that more people should probably consider, I think. Because as opposed to the creative and starting from nothing, when you buy at least something that's existing, it does have a book of sales. There's revenue. There's some customer base. And that's what you went with. Yes, exactly. And it was it was just for that reason. Primarily cash flow. Mm-hmm. Um, any business you start from scratch, usually there's a significant time period before the cash starts flowing. We were really looking for a business that was um, had a substantial base already in place that we could build off of. So you said that company was begun in 1985. You bought it in about 2002, so you've got a 17-year um, uh, track history, which is pretty good. Was the company profitable when you bought it? Barely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had just gone through uh, kind of a down cycle, and we bought it near their, you know, the bottom of their down cycle. So it was a good, good time to purchase. Okay. Baylor Equipment, what do they do? Okay. Baylor Equipment primarily sells um, infrastructure equipment to municipalities. We will sell things uh, along the lines of refuse trucks, your garbage trucks. Uh, water uh, and sewer cleaning equipment. We sell street maintenance equipment like uh, street sweepers and patching trucks. And uh, we also sell hydraulic tools like jackhammers and uh, water pumps and that type of thing. Okay, so your customers are cities, municipalities, towns uh, that uh, the fleet manager says, oh gosh, need another trash truck. Oh, hey, you know what? Larry from uh, the the water department just came in here and said we need this, and then they buy it from you. Yes. Uh, did you expand the product line from what it was when you bought Baylor equipment? Uh, yes. Uh, we've, we've had some of the same lines since the day we bought it, mm-hmm. but we have uh, our primary expansion has been into the refuse uh, area where we um, are now the Heil dealer, which is the largest refuse company in the United States. Um, Okay, so how does that work? So they make dump trucks or whatever that thing should be, and then you have an exclusive territory? Yes, and from our product lines, we have exclusive territory uh, of of Arizona for every one of our products. Okay. And a few of our products, we also have Clark County, um, Nevada. Which is Las Vegas. Vegas. Okay. So that's that's interesting. You got 16 employees. When you bought Baylor Equipment, how many employees did they have? Uh, At the time we bought it, there was 10. Okay. So you've expanded a little bit. You've expanded some product line. You've expanded some employees. Did you, uh, when you bought it, just because there's somebody listening to this that says, hey, man, Damien, I listened to your stuff. I read your book. I just don't have something to start. Maybe I should do like Peter and his partner did and go and buy this company. What's it look like when you're looking to buy a company? Uh, Well, it it took a year to find one. Did you go through brokers? Looked at every listing we could find in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Uh, My business partner and I had kind of set a criteria for what we were looking for. Mm -hmm. The first criteria, since we both had young families at the time, <laughs> was to stay in Arizona so we didn't have to uproot the family, our families. So we, we talked to a lot of business brokers, looked at a lot of deals. Uh, the main problem we found at the time is there was a ton of small businesses, mm-hmm. dry cleaners, little mm-hmm. convenience stores, that type of thing. But we were looking for something substantial enough for both of us to 
earn a living off of. Yeah, when I was doing my transition, transitional time, uh, 03 and 04 and 05 were transitional and, and somewhat uh, tumultuous times. And um, I would go on business broker listings and, uh, you know, bars and restaurants, uh, they don't own the real estate. They rent uh, an area in a strip mall and they say, well, you know, come in here and you're buying this business. I'm like, well, that's kind of true, but um, they usually have a real big price premium for what it looks like you're getting. Um, yeah, convenience stores, you're basically buying a job. You're going to be in there for a lot unless you have five of them, et cetera. So you found this, uh, which is really a sales company, but it's not just sales because you actually have a, a shop and do maintenance and that kind of thing. True. We, we really uh, have three sort of streams of revenue coming in. One is from the sale of equipment. The second one is for the sale of parts. And the third stream is from doing shop work. Okay. So... And you can do that because you're within a few hours drive of most of your customers. Yes. I mean, primarily, if you look at our customer base, 70 plus percent is Maricopa County. Yeah, which is, by the way, right. that's Metropolitan Phoenix for you. Metro don't know Phoenix, that is. Yes. All right. So I told Peter, because he and I know one, I said, you got to come on this uh, podcast and share some of your stuff. So, you you know, he had a corporate background, you, you know, working for Deloitte and Touche for crying out loud, and, and then uh, working as a controller for a, a large bank. And then uh, the hotel thing, and now this. <clears throat> but 20 years doing this has taught you a lot of lessons. But let's go back at everything. Um, I always say you should use every single thing you've ever learned. I talk about it in my book. Steve Martin uh, says that he walked off stage uh, uh, and they went to commercial on his first set on the comedy on the uh, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson walks up to him and says, Son, you're going to use everything you've ever learned to be successful in this business. And I think that's a comedy lesson, but it's a comedy lesson that everybody should learn from. You're going to use everything you've ever learned to be successful in any business. Do you hearken back to stuff you learned when you were at Deloitte or when you were working for the bank or even when you were a student? I'll tell you the one thing that I really look back on a lot was when I was a kid, I started working at a hotel at 16 years old mm -hmm. as a front desk clerk. Mm -hmm. And I spent all the way through high school and college working in hotels. As a desk clerk, you will have probably dozens of transactions every day with people that are either having the best day of their life, they're on vacation, or the worst day of their life because they, you know, yeah. they're in town yeah. for a funeral. Yeah. Um, it really taught me to listen to people and, you know, really um, try to size up where they're coming from. So you think listening is one thing that you learned from working in the hospitality industry starting at age 16. That's maybe the, that's the most important thing? I would say so, yeah. Mm -hmm. About sales, because there's no business unless there's something that gets sold. You are in a sales business, although maybe you're not the sales person. Um, you never were a salesperson. You were a CPA, you were an auditor, you were a controller. What about sales? Yeah. Uh, as far as sales go, I recommend if you have a background like mine, hire some good salesmen <laughs> and, and work with them because I think a lot of it is, um, I think you're either born for it or you're not. You can learn some skills, but some people just are natural salespeople. Yeah. And you're better off hiring them than trying to change what you are. You know, it's not hard. It, you know, it's really, I always say, it's kind of like I was a bartender in college. You, you walk up and say, hey... Uh, what can I get for you? That's essentially what sales is. And they say, oh, well, what are your offerings? Well, we got this, this, and this. Um, of course, there's no competing waiters that are trying to come along and, and get an order from them. But uh, it's it's not hard. It's usually, I always say sales is 
discovering the person's problem and presenting yourself as the solution to their problem. Um, and that's probably what you would say as well. It's just that you're not the best person at doing the presentation, maybe. Yes, I would <laughs> totally agree with that. <laughs> All right, let's talk about what you do have. Uh, I tell my audiences and the clients I've worked with, even the consulting with, that there's uh, four success traits. Risk tolerance, your drive, your resilience, or your vision. Risk tolerance, drive, resilience, vision. Which one of those things do you think you have the most of? Uh, probably risk tolerance. You're pretty good with risk. Yes. You don't like debt. You told me that before yes. we started recording. And by the way, it's a lesson. This is an accountant who also worked in banking, Does not doesn't mind borrowing money, but hates having a lot of leverage hanging over his head. Why is that? Well, I think it, it, it limits you as far as your flexibility, because you always have that um, number you have to meet every month to pay your debt. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to forego opportunities a lot of times if you don't have the capital available or the, uh, the debt capacity available. Yeah, I think that, and then there's the stress factor. Uh, being self-employed like I've been, having too much debt uh, would, would make it so that you're not as creative. It makes yes. it so that you, you can't just be more freeling. Also, it makes it you can't turn things down. That's one big lesson that I think that yes. we can share with any of our people. If you're so heavily leveraged that you're just stressed every day looking at your whether you can make ends meet, you're going to take deals that you shouldn't take. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we've when we first got going, we were leveraged a lot higher. We were stretching to get deals done. And, uh, you know, long run, that is not a good uh, success strategy. So we worked very hard over the years to get our leverage uh, basically to disappear. So. so you think risk tolerance is the one of those four that, drive, that you think defines you the most? What's your second most? Drive, resilience or vision? Oh, resilience. If you if you are a entrepreneur or a business owner, uh -huh. uh, you know your name's on the paychecks. Mm -hmm. You better be able to uh, figure out uh, solutions when the problems come up because the problems are going to come up. You look at other people's businesses. I can give an example of about each of those things. I know somebody that's just got brilliant, uh, brilliant visionary. Not really worth a shit at sometimes any of the execution, but can really look out there and see where things are going. You know, and just like I can look at people. I think I'm fairly um, risk tolerant, but then I'm not as much as some folks because I didn't come from much and I now have a nickel. And I'm like, I don't want to go all the way back. So I, I see people that are more risk um, tolerant than me. I see people that are harder workers than me. I think that's a function of age. I used to work a lot harder, and now I'm kind of enjoying myself a little bit. Which one do you think you slacked off on or gained more of of those four traits? Mm. And by the way, resilience, I think that that's the one. Yeah, that's I probably would, the one that defines me. I just won't go away. Right. <laughs> just, and just, I, I would <laughs> say that the same is true for me. I mean, you know, you, the other thing you have to have, I think, is either call it confidence or call it faith that when these things come up, you will figure out a way to deal with them and, and persevere. Yeah. So, I mean, I talk about it in a book. I talk about it to my audiences. The one thing that, you know, when they say 50% of small businesses fail within five years, we've all heard that stat. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that I'm not even sure that that's true. You can look up different SBA numbers, whatever. I think some of them don't fail, Peter. I think they they just give up. They say, son of a bitch, this is hard. <laughs> you know, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I might just go and get a normal job and then leave the cubicle every day at four o'clock or call in sick because it's hard running your own business. Is it is it true that they fail or is it true that more you think just give up? Actually, I think more of them fail. And I think the general 
thread I kind of have seen over the years is people are not, a lot of people are good at coming up with the idea or running the business, go into a business where they're undercapitalized and or they can't manage their cash flow very well. Mm -hmm. And cash flow is the blood that keeps the businesses running. Right. And if you can't manage your cash flow, you're not going to, a lot of businesses, you're not going to last very long. Your situation buying Baylor equipment, there always has been cash flow. Every month there's there's a, there's money coming in. It varies based on contracts or who what, what municipality needs to buy a bunch of crap or whatever. How big is the fluctuation? Uh, well, it, it depends on the different streams mm-hmm. of the revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shop work and the part sales are generally Static. pretty critical. Predictable. Yeah, they pretty much stay the same. And uh, fortunately for us, you know, our sales have increased over the years, which basically drives your part sales in the future. So those have been an upward projection for years. So parts and service are the annuity, right. and then uh, selling uh, a fleet of uh, dump trucks is uh, the, the big whale. Yes, because uh, we're very heavily reliant on the um, municipality's budgets. Right. And when their budgets get cut, uh, our sales decline. Is there a fifth personality trait besides risk tolerance, resilience, drive, and vision that you think uh, are success traits? I, I think confidence and faith. Yeah, you, you mentioned confidence yes. twice. All right, so people think I'm a real confident guy because I used to be in comedy and you can get on stage in front of a thousand people and deliver a 40 minute set. You've got something. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I wonder sometimes, maybe I don't. I stand over a golf ball. You and I talked about golf. You were a high school golfer. You've got tons more experience than me. You probably don't get nervous. I actually, when someone's standing there watching me, still get nervous about hitting a golf ball because. I think, man, what, where's my confidence? And is it just because I haven't done it enough, or is there just uh, is there just, is there just a thing where maybe you start to lose some of your confidence? Oh, I don't know. I think when you stand over that golf ball, I've I've hit enough of them out of bounds. I know what it feels like. I'm not that worried. <laughs> There's another thing that I think if you've gone through enough setbacks, you your confidence gets a little rattled. My wife said this to me in '04 <clears throat> when we'd been through a few years of setbacks. She says, "I missed the confident Damien. Now you have such doubt." And I said. If I didn't have doubt, I'd be a dumbass. Look at the the three years track record here, the three years of of flops we've had. Right. <laughs> so has your confidence ever been rattled? Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, going through some of the economic downturns when basically the cities have told you, yeah, we're not buying anything this year, and we might not buy anything next year. Mm-hmm. And you have to adopt uh, or adapt your business pretty quickly if you are going to survive. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, fortunately, we have figured out ways to do that. You always figure out a way. That's where the resilience comes in. But your confidence does get rattled. The thing yeah. is, once you get through it, once you get through the quicksand, you think, I got it. It didn't kill me. Yep. <laughs> if I if I made it through that, I can survive the next one. So that's... <clears throat> what good habit do you possess that has helped you in your business uh, career? Organization. Okay. Yeah. It's the accounting part of you. You're very yes. much about dotting the I's and making sure the decimal points are in the right place, and you've got the ledgers, and you've got uh, everything's organized. Yes. And I am a huge list person. Yeah. Um, I, I have a list for every day. Actually, I do lists also. Uh, I've gotten a little more lackadaisical the last 13 months because when uh, the COVID thing happened, it made it so I was not as pressed, not as... Uh, time uh, demanded, so therefore it made it so that I wasn't. It made me think about being retired because retired people don't get anything done because they don't have to. Yes, but yeah, normally I'm I'm a list person as well. Um, 
What bad habit do you manage? Impatience, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, I, I will have employees come into my office with a problem, mm-hmm. and I, I have fought the urge to solve the problem for them. So the employee's sitting there, and you're saying, um, why, why is that not done? Is that your problem? No, they'll come in with a problem, and instead of training them or teaching them, I will solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And I, it dawned on me that's not a real great way to develop your staff, and I fight that constantly. Um, just Because it's easier for you just to solve the problem than to let them learn by doing it. The problem is you look at it as, well, it's more efficient for me just to go ahead and handle this. Exactly. And also it's driving you bananas that they couldn't have done it themselves. Exactly. So <laughs> I, I end up, you know, spending extra time talking through how to solve the problem with the hopes that the next time something comes up, they, they will attempt to solve it themselves. It's a little bit of your thing is you're calling it impatience and you gave that example. I call it, Peter, the curse of self-employment. I've been essentially on my own for 27 years. I've got my wife that works with me. I've had employees in contractual arrangements a number of different times. And the thing that would strike me is I'd say, I just showed you yesterday exactly how to do this. I will show you again. And then I'm like, why do I have to show this a third time? For God's sakes, it's not that complicated. And then the curse of the self-employed is you finally just say, well, if I have to do this, then why are you here? And so you end up doing it yourself. So the curse of self-employment is you have a hard time delegating only because when you've tried it, it didn't work. And you say, screw it. I'm just going to go back to being a one-man band. The other curse of the self-employment uh, thing is, as opposed to, say, you, your business could double, and it probably wouldn't change your workload. You could just add another couple of salespeople, another administrative, whatever. For my business to double, I've got to double me. Yes. And that's a, a curse of the self-employed. Although, as we say, dear listener, there's no such thing as self-employment because we all work for other people. Okay. <clears throat> Reading. I read more when I travel. When I'm on an airplane, I don't talk to anyone. I either work on a computer or I read. I read the Wall Street Journal. I read business books. You read? Yes, constantly. Read trade journals? Uh, a little bit. Kind of boring reading some yes. magazine that talks about dump trucks. is kind of tedious. Well, some of it can be pretty exciting. Uh-huh. You know, the, right. The technology, the technology marching forward, uh, if you will. But uh, no, I read a variety of different things. Good. <clears throat> you already told them about your job at the hotel, so we're going to skip that question. Most enjoyable aspect of what you do? Well, this will sound nerdy, but uh, I would say doing, putting the budgets together and meeting them. Mm-hmm. And also when we can come up with a strategy uh, to pick up additional business, really stealing business away from one of our competitors. I think that that's good. That's always good to do that. I like the part that I like is when I've got good client action going on, good revenue going on, and I'm in a creative mode. Is there a creative aspect to what you do? Yes. Uh, I would say it comes in uh, in coming up with marketing plans to mm-hmm. get into certain uh, cities or departments in cities and how we go about that because sometimes those nuts are a little hard to crack. Um, the other thing is determining what product lines to cover and negotiating with our manufacturers and buying product. <clears throat> I think that success is every day doing more of your own choosing. You know, I was a factory worker working the midnight shift in a ceiling tile factory and um, in Rockwell Mineral Factory. Um, I didn't mind it. It was good money and I learned a lot when I was a young kid. 
uh, I would probably opt to not do it today at age 51. Um, there are things that I used to do that I don't have to do now because of certain modicum of success that I've had. What's something that you uh, have eliminated or would like to eliminate? Because when people say, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Well, that's ridiculous because you don't love every <laughs> single thing about working. No. I would say for me, the um, personnel mm -hmm. is the thing I... Managing people? Managing more hiring people. Mm -hmm. Because I, I would, to be brutally honest, I think that's one of the things I'm probably the worst at. Um, I tend to like most people I see, but most people can do well in a couple interviews and, you know, you find out a month or two later that they're really a nightmare. Yeah, and I, and I, I, I that's my, my weakness would be if I had to hire and manage, you know, 100 people because it's just, uh, it's not really in my wheelhouse and I, I can appreciate that. You know, I made a point that uh, there's the five P's, you know, we always hear, you know, the four P's of marketing mm -hmm. or five P's depending on which book you read, uh, product, price, place, promotion. I think about their business personality. Are you a product person, a process person, a, a people person, um, a promotion person, or a profit person? And I think you got to be at least two of those. Yes. you got to be at least I, two I, of those. I am process and profit. Process and profit. And yes. I would be product and promotion. I hate process. Uh, how things get done is important, but how they get done is not important to me. I just want the things to be done. So right. your process and profit. You look at the money and you make sure that things are in place. Dairy farmer that I know, very smart, very successful, huge, huge dairy operator, told me that the one problem that they have, because it's a very tedious thing, I mean, you're essentially doing the same thing. You're breeding cows, feeding cows, moving manure, and producing milk. And he said, where we lose efficiencies is procedural drift, which is a word that I had, a term I hadn't thought hmm. much about. So as a process person, that's very important, of course. Yes. They need to do the same thing, you know, from a nutrition and a production and cow handling thing. When you think about your business, is there procedural drift that's costing you inefficiencies that drives you crazy as a process guy? Oh, absolutely. So there's things that aren't being done that your people aren't doing, and then you want to go in there and go bananas. Yeah. I, it, it gets back to what we were talking about before. <laughs> you wonder why we can do it one way five times in a row, and then the sixth time we're doing something else. And I think the one thing it really has um, helped me is kind of coming to grips with, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect every time because mm -hmm. if it has to be perfect, you're you're going to drive yourself nuts. I cover that also. You're going right. I'm not, you, know, you haven't even read my book, but when you do, you're going to say, damn it, we talked about this. Perfection is the enemy of completion. Yes. Uh, and, and it's hard sometimes because... I used to do that way about writing. You know, I need to put out an article, and then I'd keep stewing on it. And Laurie says, "Just put the thing out. It's fine. It's got great business points, and you're worried about what you can throw one more thing in." She's like, "I think she kind of said, you look at it like the way you used to try and create a joke, and and it says wasn't perfect the first time you put it out there, but a year and a half later, if you're still using the joke, you'd probably work the bit down into near perfection, right? right? And you can't do that with an article, and you probably can't do that with a, a one thing with your customers or whatever. Where have you steered your ship wrong? Where have you? Can you actually look back and say, "Oh man, that was a flop"? <laughs> yes, um, we had an opportunity. With, well, what we perceived as an opportunity at the time to expand our business geographically, mm -hmm. and uh, we were given the opportunity by our uh, largest manufacturer at the time to rep their product in the state of Texas. And uh, it took a while to figure out that, A, Texas is a very big state. Mm -hmm. And 
be we did not have the personnel nor the capital to really cover a territory. Yeah, you're going to have you're going to hire a boatload of people. You're going to have to expand some infrastructure facilities, right? And then spend money on the promotional effort. And so. we we got over our skis, and uh, our manufacturer was very good. We we were able to sell the business out and kind of recoup most of the money we invested. Uh, but we spent a good. You know, three years of really management-intensive time, a lot of travel, very unproductive. Yeah, you didn't make you 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 lost a little bit of money on it, not yes. tons, not tons, but a lot of opportunity cost. Right, and also, by the way, uh, if you're conservative and and you you know you you like to make sure your money is okay, I always find it interesting. Like when your broker says. Well, yeah, you lost money, but you're young. And I say, well, when am I going to be old enough to not appreciate losing money? Yeah. <laughs> Let me know when you find uh, that out. Yeah. Uh, what have you gotten right? So you you, you you went a little off the rails there. because, But you know what? It was expansion. And that's right. where I think anybody listening to this says, all right, Damien. I love listening to your stuff, you know, um, and I just wish I, uh, I wish I could go out and do this. You were at least in expansion mode. You didn't screw up by not taking the opportunity. It just it just cost you some time and some money, and you, like you said, you were over your skis. Um, yes. Uh, what we got right is basically we realized it's much easier for us to expand our product line in the geographic area we're currently working in uh, because, honestly, we have good relationships with most of our customers who um, we could sell new product to or at least new product for, for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so that has worked out quite well. So what you've gotten right is expansion of product line because you can essentially use the same personnel. You didn't have to, you, right. get, you, pick, up, you pick up SKUs, you pick up sales, you pick up opportunities to pick up new customers. Yes. And you didn't have to change a lot on your end. So yep. uh, do you have the right amount of product line now or are you going to still expand? Only if we get the right opportunity. Mm-hmm. We, we have gone back and looked at the product lines that have worked for us and the ones that haven't worked for us and have set up a criteria for evaluating the product lines. And we will get a couple of manufacturers a year come to us and say, hey, would you be interested in repping our line? Mm-hmm. And we'll basically go through our checklist and tell them pretty quickly no or yes. And occasionally we've, uh, well, this week I basically terminated a relationship with one of our um, manufacturers we've had for a number of years, uh, primarily because um, they weren't fitting the criteria. <clears throat> yeah, so it's, th- there's a, an, another angle of that. Um, my friend that was on here on this podcast a couple years ago, he had a goal to fire a certain amount of customers. You're not really doing that, but you are deciding to sort of refine your mix is what you're saying. Yes. You're, you're well enough off. Your business is doing well enough. You think it's smarter to refine your mix. In other words, sort of to, to boil down what you're doing and do well and then get rid of the stuff that's more a distraction. Yes, exactly. And that's an important lesson for anybody that's listening to this because you want to be all things to all people, and you usually are not good at doing that. <laughs> Being all things to all people. Yeah, and I, I, I would generally agree with the customer um, comment that your other uh, speaker came up with. But in in our business, we have a very small customer base because it's basically the municipalities. Yeah. The, 
furious government. Yeah, no, you units. you can't. And he's in a service provider role. He his goal is to get rid of the bottom ten percent, those that don't pay, those that are low pay, those that are uh, cost an outsized amount of time for the hours you can yes. make from, etc. And you know, we all at some point have to look and say, is there is there a part of my customer base that I'd be better off not serving? servicing? Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you now? Have or have you ever had a, a formal business plan? Yes. Yeah, that goes back to your process-oriented CPA MBA uh, side, doesn't it? Yes. I've never had a formal business plan. Okay. Uh, I've had goals. I look and say, here's what I want to accomplish from a business point, from a sales, from a revenue, from a expansion of uh, you know customers, um, from a personal standpoint, from all those kinds of things. I've never had a formal business plan. You believe in them. Yeah, but I'm pretty much along the same lines that you are. I mean, you know, we will do our sales forecasts, okay. uh, which is really the basis going forward. Um, you know, and a lot of emphasis on our budgeting. What about the ones that look out? At the, you go to the bank and they say they want a five to ten year business plan. And I say, how would you know what to prepare for five to ten years from now? Yeah, uh, it, it, you can't. No, I mean we we've been asked that well mostly three year plans, but we we will you know put together a three year projection mm -hmm. more than a uh, business plan. Sure, um, yeah. If uh, tornadoes whip through and wipe out uh, half the infrastructure, you're going to have twenty times the amount of business you had, and or if budgets all get cut and they say <laughs> you're going to have one tenth the amount of business. So, yeah. Uh, goals. You set goals personally. Yes. Uh, Okay, you and I go shooting together. Is one of your goals to get better at shooting? Yes, I want to beat you one of these days. Uh, <laughs> what about what about uh, personally? What do you look at personally? What do you look at professionally? Um, every year, usually at the same time I'm doing the budgeting for the business, I, I sit down and I come up with my uh, personal goals for the year. Yep. And they generally break out along the lines of, you know, health goals, business goals, reading goals, um, financial, personal financial goals. Mm -hmm. And I got a list of those and, you know, I checked those off as, as I accomplished them. The uh, COVID thing changed it for me. I always do mine between Christmas and New Year's. I slow down. I, on my last plane ride home in December, I really go through it. I look at them on my computer and I think, what do I want to get going on next year? What did I do well last year? The thing is, this whole COVID thing, it slowed me down and I, it was the first time I wasn't as thorough about it as I typically am. Did it change yours? Not really. Yeah. You said no. business thrived through the whole corona crap. Yes, and we did some, actually... In a way, it was it was a good thing for us. We changed a couple procedures that have really worked out well. Um, we used to have uh, use uh, Salesforce. I'm not sure if you're familiar mm -hmm. with this to track our deals and everything. Yep. And getting salesmen to do that is like pulling teeth sometimes. And I was spending a lot of time harassing my sales staff to get their yeah. their uh, well, that's information where in. You're about process, and they they are more about uh, getting the things sold. Yeah. They're not about processes. So as part of the COVID thing, when we were separating out people and, you know, not congregating, uh, we started doing two Zoom calls a day with our sales force, and they would have to tell us what they're working on every morning. You know, they would tell us what I'm going to do for the day, mm -hmm. and in the afternoon, what did, did I accomplish? Did you get it done? And uh, also the same people we were making manager of the day, they were the mod one day a week. So they got to expand their management uh, talents a little bit. So those items we are ending up, uh, we're just gonna keep 
doing once this whole thing's over with. So it gave you, it gave you, uh, yeah, you learned something that worked. Mm-hmm. All right, this is a big one I like to ask people. Uh, if I gave you four more hours per week, boom, I just reach up in the sky, I grab four hours. You get these four hours. Maybe nobody else gets them, just you. Where do you deploy those four hours? I would, I would spend them with my grandkids and my my children. Yeah, and and that is if you asked a twenty five year old uh, beginning entrepreneur. It'd probably be a different answer. Yes, you're at a different age and uh, and uh, point in life. <clears throat> One piece of advice, knowledge, wisdom that you can give that anybody can benefit from: business owner, aspiring business owner, self-employed, gig economy worker, sole proprietor. My, what I would say is, pick your company. Try to spend as much time with you can with good people who have positive outlooks on life because it's just too hard to spend time with people that don't. Yeah, the old thing about the, you know, your 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 net worth will be the average of your five closest friends. I'm not sure if that part's true, but I can say your outlook on life, your enjoyment factor, how you enjoy life is gonna be closely resembling uh, the other people you're around because you, if you're around miserable people, you're going to be miserable. Yes, exactly. uh, or unmotivated people, they're going to you're going to be unmotivated. Are they? Any, any last thoughts? Anything we didn't get to that we should have? No, I think that about. Uh, and so, it. if somebody's listening to this and they want to check out Baylor Equipment, like it's on your shirt right there, B A L A R. Do you have a website? Yes, it's. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's Baylor.com. B-A-L-A-R.com. Yes. And if they say, I want to buy something, or I want to go to work for this guy. He yeah. sounds like a cool cool boss, except yeah. for the, the, the overly procedural, uh, you know, yeah. instructions. Slave driver. Yep. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. All right. His name is Peter Evans. Thank you for being Thank here, you. Peter. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, it's the Do Business Better podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of Do Business Better, please share it. And be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear and Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com. Know someone who'd make a great guest? Send us a message. We're always looking for compelling stories and business lessons our listeners can benefit from. Thank you. Thank you.